our series that we've been focusing on um, and kind of gearing up for this summer. And it is that Mr. Rogers question of, won't you be my neighbor? And I love, we talked about this a little bit uh, before, um, but I love it because Mr. Rogers reframes the question uh, in a story that's very familiar to us, right? That the Pharisees in the story of the, the Good Samaritan were trying to uh, trap Jesus by saying, you know, you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself, right? I get that. But then who's our neighbor? Uh, but Mr. Rogers, because he loves Jesus, reframes the question of an invitational one saying, won't you be my neighbor? It's this welcoming sort of invitational thing. And that's what we're gonna uh, focus on this summer of what it means to be invitational and relational in our lives in a more um, intentional, overt sort of way. Uh, but this week, uh, as sort of our last week of introduction to sort of set this thing up, um, it's a weird, interesting topic. That's not a weird topic. It's a topic that makes me uncomfortable. Growing up in my house, um, hell was considered a bad word. Was that true for you? Like, was hell a curse word? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. And then as I got older and I wanted to get away with saying it, I don't think I ever wanted to say it. I just knew I wasn't supposed to say it. And so I wanted to say it. I'm looking, my mother's here, so it's a little off-putting. Um, but I remember sort of, you know, as I sort of learned, like, it's not a bad word. It's a mom, it's a location, right? <laughs> it's like, I can say it because it's this thing. Um, but it's, it's a word that we actually use a lot and we generally uh, use it either in a uh, offhanded remark kind of way, we use the word hell, or we use it um, as a way of, of knowing we're going through something painful, right? Um, you know, she's just been going through hell these last few weeks, it's been so hard. Or this cancer treatment has just been a hell on earth experience for us. So it's this thing that's related to, to these awful experiences that we have of feeling um, maybe uh, physical pain or hardship, but also maybe some emotional abandonment feeling, right? We can kind of know what those moments sort of feel like. Or we say things like, it's hotter than... I'm glad that there's summer, but I will... <laughs> it's Hades, yes. Uh, but I will get... Uh, I will start to complain about how, how hot it is. Um, and when I was a kid in church, um, we talked about hell a lot more than we talk about it now. Uh, we talked about it maybe too much, right? Like it was the focus back when, I mean, the, the pastors would wear the full suits and they would be sweating and there, there was a lot of hand smacking on the, on the podium. What do you call those things? The, the, the pulpit, yes, thank you. Mom's like, oh, I know that word, the pulpit. There was a lot of hand and the Bible waving and it was this thing. Um, but, and so now we sort of on the other tail end of that, we don't really talk about it much because it makes us uncomfortable. But the Bible actually, there's 54 different verses about it. And Jesus warned more about hell than he, than he talked about going to heaven, which I was sort of surprised about and actually didn't know. And now it's something that we sort of um, shy away from a little bit. And in some ways, I think we should, because a lot of times we talk about it now is it's to yell at people telling them that's where they're gonna go because of X, Y, or Z their behavior, their lifestyle, their bad choices, then it's this place that we throw people into as sort of this, more of this sort of fear and intimidation in this coming to Jesus moment. 
Maybe you've experienced that or uh, understand that or come from communities where that's been a thing. Now, this is not, uh, some of you are starting to shift in your seats a little bit and you're like, oh, we're gonna have this talk today. And we are, but it's not, it's not what, what, maybe what it seems. But we have to sort of throw it out there as this uncomfortable thing. Because um, can you give me slide one? I really agree with C.S. Lewis when he said this. There's no doctrine which I would more willingly remove from Christianity than hell. If it lay in my power, I would pay any price to be able to say truthfully, all will be saved. Right? Like it's just one of those things that makes us uncomfortable because we just don't, we don't want it to happen for us. Um, we don't want to, uh, we want our, our salvation to be secure and we want that for people that we love and care about. But then in 2 Peter, he reminds us that Jesus felt similarly when he says the Lord, and we shared this verse last week, if you remember, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That there is this time of judgment in our lives uh, where, we, uh, where that will happen, right? But I think that the point is, so if you lose interest or you get distracted, I'm gonna tell you the point right up front is when we talk about this, this idea of neighborhood and inviting people in, I want you to understand the urgency. This is one of those things. This is not a sermon about hell as much as it is a sermon about urgency, a conversation. It's not this fire and brimstone. This isn't one of those kind of moments, but it's the fact that there is this life and death urgency in what we're called to do in the name of Jesus. And I always tell people that um, West Michigan is an interesting kind of place, right? Like if I'm, I, Lauren smiles at me, because Lauren is not, you're not from here. Lauren's from Illinois, right? And coming to here is an experience, because this is a different place. And you don't really know the difference of what it means to live in West Michigan until you have left for a while, any sort of time and you come back and then you're sort of like, oh, this place is sort of unique. There is um, a lot of churches in a lot of, I mean, you, you, in Illinois, where I went to school, I went to school at Trinity Christian College and I couldn't believe how many Dunkin' Donuts there were. Like you could go, there's like four on the right side of the road, then you go a little bit down and there was like four on the left side of the road, just for your convenience, because turning left out of places is insane, right? And so that they had so many Dunkin' Donuts. But that's the first thing people notice when they come here is how many churches there are and how many churches some of, you, of us all pass to go to the church that we go to or the church that we went to or whatever that looks like. It's, it's an interesting place, right? We had a bunch of Dutch immigrants come over and, in the 1800s and, and, and be here and then just we sort of became overpopulated and we come from a very seemingly Christian perspective, right? At one point in time, I think, it, I think it's on, on Baldwin, somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, but the stretch of Baldwin, this was true at one time, had more churches per capita than anywhere in the world. The world. <laughs> like, that is a lot, right? And you know it, if you go kind of back and forth, I actually, I knew it, but it wasn't until Pokemon Go became uh, a phenomenon a few years ago and Aiden and I, he wanted to play and so I would like drive and you could go to these churches to get, I don't know, extra power-ups or something like that. And so I was like, there's another one, there's another one. It's helpful, 
to have that many churches per capita. Right? It's home to the Christian Reform and Reformed Church in America's denomination headquarters. There's Calvin College and Hope College, which are, which are big, right? We, we just have so many, and, and we live in a pretty politically conservative area, right? Half the time, if you live um, in sort of in the eastern Ottawa area, if you go to vote in just your local elections, you can't find a Democrat on the ballot, even if you wanted to vote for that person. They just don't exist. They're not on it. Right? So that sort of leads us to believe that we live in a Christian area. But I know of just one example of a man that sits with his wife and his kids most Sundays over at Alive in Jettison who does not believe. He shows up. He's ex- he's, I think he's glad that his family's there, but he's like, I, he grew up in the church. He's like, I don't, I don't know if this is for me. I don't know if I believe all of this anymore. And that's a difficult place to be. I mean, he lives in our community and sends his kids to the school. You just, you sort of have this assumption that he's fine. He's okay. He's in this place. It's just, it's not always, everything isn't always what it seems because of the maybe overt, Christianity that we seem to sort of have in this area, right? And then there's a whole group of people that are sort of completely turned off by all of this, by all of our churches and all of our rhetoric and doctrine and those kinds of things. And some of that experience is where they feel that way because they've been in these places and have heard things that have hurt them or they've experienced um, a community that's felt more like they were rejecting them or judging them instead of welcoming them. And so they're like, you guys might have a lot of churches around here, but I don't see a lot of Jesus. Or people that um, will say to me, I don't have a problem with Jesus, but his church, that makes me cringe a little bit. So we all kind of know people that are living today without knowing how much Jesus loves them, right? They might have heard of him. In this area, it might be hard-pressed to find someone that has never heard the gospel. I believe they're out there. It's happened. But they haven't experienced Jesus. They haven't had a connection, this moment in their life where it makes sense to them. I had the privilege of taking high school kids to Young Life Camp. And some of these kids, you know, you'd meet them in the schools and... um, and they were coming just from different perspectives. Some, a lot of them, maybe some great home lives, maybe some not so great. And some were sort of disconnected and, and church wasn't a thing for them. And some of them had like, I remember going to church when I was little and then our family left because I think something happened. It was always that, like, I think something happened. I'm not sure, but we don't go and we don't, it's not a thing that we talk about. And then I get to take them. I've been, you know, you walk with them and, and start to talk to them and, and, and love and care for them and show up and go to their events and their band concerts and their stuff. And then they want it, you say, do you want to come to camp with me this summer? It's going to be awesome. And it is awesome. It's this amazing place that they don't have to lift a finger and we do all the things together. And it's this whole week where we spend the time breaking down barriers so that kids can experience Jesus' love. Because it's a different thing to know it and it's very, very different to have it in an experiential level right? Because the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. That was something, I, I, I read it somewhere. That is not my nugget of truth. 
But man, that stays with me. The gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. Put up slide two. Uh, if you have Bibles or devices, look in uh, Luke 19. Um, wow, that is small. I'm gonna need some readers. Okay, um, so anyway, this is the story uh, of the, the rich man and the beggar, Lazarus. And um, he sort of, Jesus is, is having this, this conversation, this parable. He says, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gates, there, w- there laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Be the next one. Continues. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead, right? This story, this point of this story is motivation for us because there are five brothers that are still alive and this man is is desperate to have somebody let them know that they can avoid being apart from the father, that they don't have to be in this place. Go tell them because if they knew about this, they would change their minds I want them to know, and I don't want them to end up here. I want this to be different for them. Five men who do not have to experience the rich man's fate if someone would just tell them about Jesus. Right? You will be better kingdom-focused people if you assume that people do not have a relationship with Jesus, which is flip thinking for us. We take it for granted here. They're probably fine. I know where they go to church. I'm in BSF with them. I've been in a small, I, I, we know that 60% of people in our community uh, are disconnected in some way. And maybe those are, and that's just the percentage of people that filled out a survey. But I wonder how many people sit in places like this that are still disconnected because they have yet to sort of experience and connect with who Jesus is. Because this, this isn't a Charles Dickens poem. Or, or story, right? This isn't a um, send the ghosts of Christmas past and Jacob Marley to warn you about the sins of the earth that you'll pay for. Remember that? I always remember the Disney version of it. So it's like the, the guy in chains and it's like goofy or something like that, right? And he's warning them, don't be the same. Don't be, you know, I'm paying for my sins and he's got all these chains. God doesn't work like that. 
He says, that I'm not gonna send people from the dead to, to come back and to warn you. I have you. I have you. He has us. We spend a lot of time consigning people to hell who aren't doing it right instead of inviting them into heaven. That's how we generally talk about it, right? People don't respond well to fire and brimstone. They just don't. Uh, immediately they turn off and say, yep, this is exactly what I thought it was, I'm out. Hell is a real place and we don't want people to go there, but that's rarely going to be anyone's motivation to turn to Jesus. I remember at, at GVSU when I worked there, there'd be a guy that would come um, with his loudspeaker and he would, because anyone could, could get a permit to be there. Yeah, you remember this guy. And he would come with his loudspeaker and he would just spew all these reasons why you're going to hell and you're going to hell and this whole group of people's going to hell and it was just this fire and it sounded ridiculous, right? Even most people, Christians were even going, what is happening? Who is this person? And then groups of people would kind of come and, and just sort of sit almost in like this direct defiance of that. If there's anything that man did, it was not helping the kingdom. He did far more damage than good. So is your platform condemnation or hope? Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. And as Christians, we bear that same light. So our job is to go out. He tasked us to bringing heaven to earth by the power of the Holy Spirit, armed with the message of salvation. That's good news. That is good news for us that we are joy bringers. Take out your cell phones a minute. I'm serious. Take them out. Okay, I want you to go, if you have social media, pick your social media of choice. Um, Facebook's one of my uh, favorites for this particular conversation. Um, go to your profile page and just scroll. Just scroll a little bit. Is your message of condemnation or of hope? Or maybe you need to go to some of your friends that you follow, people that show up in your newsfeed. Are they talking more about what they are against or what they have hope in? What's, what is our platform for these things? Do we spend time posting and reposting things that are politically charged and motivated and this group of people is wrong for this reason and that group of people is wrong for this reason and dumpster fire, right? Just a dump, that's why people like Instagram better these days. Just fun pictures of people hanging out in the summertime. Love it, babies. But are you talking more about what you believe in or more what you are against? And I think unfortunately the story we often tell whether we mean to or not, is to make sure everybody knows what we're against. These are the things that aren't okay. And it's okay to have those convictions. That's not, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but we're called to be bearers of light, to bring messages of hope. I told you last week um, that what keeps me from living the kind of life that I know God's calling me to or wants me to, to be invitational, relational, in it for the long haul kind of life is that one, at the end of the day, I'm done. I'm done. I wanna watch TV. I wanna go to my friends and I wanna watch The Bachelor. We're on for tomorrow night, yeah? Okay. <laughs> 
right? I'm done. I just want to shut it down. And you were like, yes, that resonates with me. And the second thing is I have really great friends. I have amazing people in my life that I'd rather spend time with. And maybe that's your story too. That you have great relationships in your family. You go camping every summer and together and you do these things. And every weekend you've got something or you're busy doing really great things and you volunteer at church and you have all these different places that you're, you go and you're busy and you've got, you're on this team and that team and it's, it's good and it makes for a really full life. But it doesn't take long for our whole world to be about safe things that make us feel good, surrounded with people that love and pour into us. We're actually told that that's a healthy way to live, right? A balanced life, good support system, that's, that's the goal. And that's true, right? Like I want that for you. I want that balance. I want that, the people that love and care for you. But if, if it is, what if we use this sort of wonderful support system that, that people that love us and speak into our lives, but they filled us up to a point that we could be willing to be more risky. Risky in our hospitality, right? Towards the way that we, we love people, the way that we care for people, the way that we are, can be more invitational, that we can make space and room in our lives because there are people that today, if they don't know about Jesus, will perish forever. And I don't, I'm not okay with that. There's urgency. We give me slide number four. This is a hard one. This is, a, this is, a, this is one that I like to sort of avoid reading because it sounds really good and I want this for myself, but man, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Deny yourself. Ah, Denying the, the, the things that you want and need and treasure and maybe hold close, denying yourself some of those, those things that provide you with, with comfort to take up your cross and follow Jesus, right? To continue to look at who he is and how he lived his life. That's why we keep coming back. Some of you are thinking, Carrie, I feel like maybe we could talk about something else. And maybe we will, <laughs> but I'm, I find that like, this is the heart of the gospel. Like this is, this is what the whole thing's about, is looking at Jesus, not only what he said, but the way that he lived his life. And man, there's so much truth to get in these things that we wanna continue to just look into who he is so that we can deny ourselves some of these things and pick up our cross and follow Jesus because we know and we believe in our, our heads that that's the way to go that that will be better for us. But how do we get it to transfer from the knowledge that we have here to the, to, to into our heart so that it transforms the way that we live? A lot of us have been in church for a long time, but yet living like Jesus is still really difficult for us. It's difficult for me. I know the way I wanna be, but I continue to make choices that pull me away from that truth. Right? There are people all around us that don't know or haven't said yes to Jesus. Maybe you know, maybe, maybe they've heard of them, but they haven't experienced him, but they will experience Jesus through you. 
If you're in those relationships, if you as yourself are being drawn to, to, to the Father, being drawn close, God's doing that. He's working in the world, but he's saying, I'm using you. I'm using you to do this incarnational ministry. I'm gone, I'm back, in, I'm back at home with the Father, but I've sent the Holy Spirit into you, into your lives, so that you can go and be the incarnation of Jesus. So we're gonna continue to, to ask ourselves tough questions. Am I living for Christ or am I living for myself? Am I spending more time letting the world know what I'm against or am I bringing them the hope of Jesus? Right? God could have done things differently. He, he didn't need us. He chose us. He made a choice to use us and to include us and to make us so important in his kingdom work. But we just have to deny ourselves, take up his cross, and be more like him. I want, you to, I want to leave you with, with this uh, out of Acts. He's talking to the people um, in Athens, Paul is, um, and, and the whole verse, I want, to, I want to zoom out. That's your takeaway. But it starts at verse, uh, chapter 17, verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands. And if he needs anything, rather he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth and be marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. And God did this so they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him, we live and move and have our being. You live where you live on purpose. He marked out the appropriate times in histories and the boundaries of their lands. You live where you live because God ordained it to be so. You go to the same coffee shops, golf courses, restaurants within your appointed boundary. You build relationships with those people because that's where you go. These are your people because it's exactly where God wants you to be. So we're gonna spend the rest of the summer sort of practically talking about what it means to deny ourselves and be more like Jesus. Learning how to connect, serve, share, grow, and pray. Those are the five elements that we're gonna, we're gonna really break down and talk about. And it's not one of those things that first you do this, then you do this, but it's more of a, these all things working together is gonna, is gonna make us live more like Jesus. That it's going to say, I've had enough time for me and myself and what I need, and I'm gonna make more time and room to live more like Jesus. And it's gonna be hard. <laughs> and it's gonna be inconvenient. Um, and I think we're gonna really have to sort of uh, take and, and take a really good look at our time and our schedule and where, we're, where we spend it. And I'm, we're gonna do that together. We have this really uh, cool opportunity in Dignity Serves to do that. If people were a part of that, we're gonna bring some of that here so that you can sort of have these, this conversation all together so that we can figure out where, where can we make room to be intentional. Let me say this, if you are here because you're in a place where you're empty, and you have nothing left to give, then we're gonna be those people that will fill you back up. Maybe you're not ready for this next step yet. You're in a place that just needs to be filled 
and, and, and known and shown that you are loved and to experience Christ in a new way. And if that is you, keep coming, keep coming here. We, we will do our very best to show you the light and love of Jesus Christ. All right? So time's wasting. Yeah? There's urgency. Let's get to work. Let's pray. Father, you are amazing and your love for us knows no bounds. God, you loved us so much that you sent your son so that we can know you better, so that we can feel connected to you. And then he died to save us so that we can, can find repentance and life and joy and fullness because of who he is and who we get to be because of him. God, it's not about us. You created us uniquely uh, with certain skills and talents and abilities. Um, you made us exactly in your image and your likeness and yet all different. Help us to, to live into those things, to, to, to be transformed by the power of your word through, through the power of the Holy Spirit that we will know and experience the love of Jesus and make room in our lives so that we can be bearers of that light. Because there are people that we know, there are people in our families that sit across the dining room table from us that don't know who you are. There are people in our coffee shops that don't know who you are. They're... Help us to assume that people need you. And they need you in ways that, that we, can, we can help. We can be uh, a picture of you in the world that we can be the hands and the feet and the skin and the love of Jesus wherever we go. But we can say that, but Lord, help us to do it because time's wasting and we want everyone to be saved. Thank you for this. Thank you for this time that we can be together. Help us to continue to, to worship you not only here on Sundays, but in our whole lives. In Jesus' name we pray and believe. Amen.